Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right, John, thank you so much. And I want everybody to know that, um, you know, John is such one of those real guys that we just called last minute, like, hey, we have some uh, open time. And I'm sure John is just sitting around and twiddling his thumbs. Uh, does he have time? And John said, matter of fact, I was sitting around. No, I'm just joking. But John came on last minute. Thank you, John. I appreciate you for being on that moment. Oh, my pleasure. But anything for you. We, we, we've always been supportive of each other over the years. We have, we have, and listen, I, I, you're eight seasons in, right? Eight seasons in on Bar Rescue? I am. I'm about to start shooting the ninth in August. All right, ninth in August, um, you know, advocate for uh, small businesses, uh, entrepreneurs. Um, I like the way that you're an advocate for it, though, because uh, I think that, uh, you know, now I, I got a children's book out, John, and my thing with now is what I realized is, there are children that act like children. There are adults that act like adults, and there are adults that act like children. And I, after I decided that uh, these beautiful little kids who you you never know what challenge they're going through, and and you know they're not tainted by the world and they're sponges, 
I need to start giving some of these adults that act like children a little more John Tapper, Kevin O'Leary, Gary V, kind of like I'm rooting for you, yeah, but grow up yeah, and you know, come to the reality of what you're doing. You know, it's funny. I was sitting with my daughter years ago, and I had a box of cereal on the table. And I was teaching her about money. So I took 100. They were Cheerios. I took 100 Cheerios. I said, okay, I got to give the government 30 of these. So I pushed those aside. I got to pay the rent. I pushed those aside. I got to pay. You want a new baseball glove? I got to get you that. And we had no Cheerios left. And at eight years old, she started to understand it. And I called it the Cheerio model. But it really taught her the, the premise of it. I've always wanted to write a children's book about a lemonade stand. How to run a lemonade stand profitably. And I always thought something like that could be a lot of fun. Just to teach the values of dollars and quality and service and the things you and I live by. I love that, the quality and service. So because that's what you're an expert for getting right down to the core of. But why don't we talk about, I don't know, why don't we go into that moment? When was your first either lemonade stand or the lemonade stand that you felt that was funky and it needed some adjusting? Because, you know... I think that's a good way to start. You know, lemonade stands when when John and I started was as big as the corner. Uh, lemonade stands today are as big as how many people can uh, you know your 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 smartphone can hit. All right, so um, why don't we start off with that, John? When was the t- when did you did you? I don't even want to assume, but did your first lemonade stand or first business or first venture work out well? No, my first venture, I had a partner who I shouldn't have signed with. I trusted him on paperwork, and I got ripped off for the only $600,000 I had in my name. So my first one was not good. And, and, you know, I learned a lesson at that time about integrity and trustworthiness and who to get in bed with, so to speak. And, of course, I never had that again. But I attained success. And, you know, when you asked me this question, Damon, I thought it was, A, an incredible concept to talk about this moment that changes all of our lives. And I thought about several that I had in life. For example, when Mm -hmm. I was younger and I owned my first nightclub, and it was a big nightclub with technology and dance floors, and I stood in there by myself at 4 in the morning. And the fact that I could own such a Where was this club where was this club and how old were you? I, it was in Chicago, and I was about, I guess, 28 maybe, something Got like it, that. Okay. But to look mm-hmm. over my domain, if you will, and, and, you know, what I had, that was a pretty good moment for me. But when I thought about, you know, what moment was the most powerful that I wanted to give to you, here's the story. I'm at Caesar's Palace many years ago, about 13, 14 years ago, and I'm giving a speech. And at the end of the speech, can I use frank language or should I filter yeah, this you, to clean? Yeah, sure. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, I'm giving a speech, and at the end of the speech, somebody comes up to me and says, John, you should be on television. So I go home and I write something up called On the Rocks, three pages. Mm-hmm. And Damon, it's half Mission Impossible and half Kitchen Nightmares. So I'm going to be dropped in a restaurant with files, and I'm going to have the file of my mixologist and my chef, just mm-hmm. like the beginning of Mission Impossible. I put it together, and years earlier, I had been a consultant to Paramount for Bubba Gump Shrimp Company and some mm-hmm. of their hospitality stuff. So I had made a decent living at that point, Damon, but I wasn't wealthy by all means yet. So because of my contacts at Paramount, I could set up a meeting to pitch my idea to them, set a head of TV and a bunch of Paramount people in the room. And I walk in and I sit down and I tell them my idea and they look at me and say, John, you will never fucking be on television. You're too old. You're not good looking enough. It'll never happen. So right. I walk out of the meeting. I get in my car. They gave me a drive on. But they say, they say that to you at- in exactly that way, precisely who word said, for you know, word. You know, who, wait, who, 
What, what company was this again? This was in Paramount on a Paramount lot. And it's funny because what network am I on today? Paramount. So it's funny, David. What, you... <laughs> what happened though? Like, because, you know, I got to tell you something about Hollywood. What I, my experience with Hollywood is nobody tells you no to your face. They tell you it's not the time of this. So I, because you know what? They don't want to be the person that told John Taffer no well, they 10 were. years later. They were. And I, but I don't know if they, I have respect for the person who told you or I feel sorry for the person who told you, but go ahead. So so I had not been in TV, so they had given me this meeting, and my question to you, I'm Jim, and I want to share an idea with you to see if it's even worth my time. And that's when they said to me, you'll never be, uh, uh, you're too old. Not so I drive in through the Paramount ga- gates on the way out, Damon. As you can imagine, I'm, I'm bummed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, you know what? I'm going to make my own sizzle reel. So mm-hmm. in the television business, you sell shows based on these three to four minute sizzle reels. Right. Mm-hmm. So I go to a friend's bar in Hermosa Beach. It's empty on a Saturday afternoon. It's full on Sunday for football. I film it empty, uh, uh, do my shtick, my stuff, film it full, create a four minute sizzle reel, edit it myself, send it to four production companies and get four out of four offers. Because I was angry that they had looked at me and said, no, you'll never be on television. It almost energized me. You know what I mean? It gave me the fight to go after this. And I got four out of four offers, buddy. <laughs> but who gave, but who, but, but let me, and, and congratulations on that, first of all. Um, that is showing how, you know, your ability to, to, to bob and weave, but... Why, first of all, you know, they don't see you on TV, and who cares what other people think. But what gave you the the guts or the vision or the confidence to feel like you should be on TV anyway? Because maybe you could have went in there and said, well, I'm John Taffer. I, I'm established in the business, and I got some really sexy young people uh, that I want to produce a show because I'm connected what what made you? Because you were never on TV before that, right? Never, nor had I ever been in the television business before. Why did you feel you can do that? And let me ask some: Were you married at the time, or I was? Okay, are you still? Were you still married? The same, I same am. person. Yep, twenty five years. And when what did she say to you when you said you were going to go do this and pitch this? She was actually pretty supportive. She's she's I'm proud to say probably my biggest fan, Damon. So so her support meant a lot to me at the time. But that no. I think gave me a greater level of energy than a yes would have given me. And the person who did that to me, you're going to get a kick out of this. Years ago, there was a company that sold black roses, and they sold them in coffin-shaped boxes to send to people. So I bought a box of 12 black roses in a coffin box, and I shipped it to him when the show was Nice. <laughs> nice. And, and now we know who you are today. But, but let me, let me, I want to go back to when you were that nightclub owner. Yeah. Um, it was the first nightclub. You're 28 years old. You're in Chicago, correct? Yep. You just opened the doors. How much did you put into that club? About a half a million dollars. Blood half money. Half a million. Blood did you have partners? I did. Have what do you mean, blood money? You you borrowed you borrowed it? Oh no, no, I borrowed about a hundred of it, but it was money. You know, it's all I had. That's all you had. Yeah. Did you have partners? I had one partner. Was that the one who 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 took you for six hundred? Nope. That was the next. The second one was a good one. The first one took me for six hundred, and I had no recourse because I didn't have the right paperwork. I went at it as a total rookie on a handshake name and something I would never do again. And of course, you would never advise. Okay, so you're at the second one. This is now you're on your own. You you but you have a level of confidence because of your first um, 
whatever maybe you, you first experienced in the first club, correct? Yeah, and, and, and you know, I must say, even when I was young, I had a, always had a good level of confidence. You know, I think I was good when I was young at presenting myself with a little BS. And I think as I got older and older, the BS got less and less, and I actually became what I said. But I think in the younger years, I had the confidence to pitch myself into situations that some would say I wasn't qualified for, but I pulled them off in the end. But unlike you being, you being, you wanting to be somebody who, uh, you know, brings your message to the masses on television and helps probably empower so many more people because when, you know, family, a couple, partners are going through some shit and they look at you and you just, you just basically pulverize somebody for doing the wrong thing, even though you, you told them where they, you saw value. These people now can say, you see, look, I'm not the only one who thinks like that. Right. But you know, when you were trying to get on TV, it wasn't proven. But now, if you gotten, you know, from my Shark Tank experience of sniffing through, if somebody stole six hundred thousand from you, that means there was six hundred thousand to be stolen. That's right. Um, now you're at uh, version number two. Uh, you're on your own. You borrowed a hundred, but you probably have some data and numbers of what you've done before that mm -hmm. makes people say, "I will give you a hundred of mine." Mm -hmm. How are you feeling at that moment? Were you? Do you remember? Were you married? Were you? Do you have kids? Were you nervous? Were you just? Was anybody special in your life? What What happened? And what was the pressure of opening that second? Were you naive, like, oh my God, I got the second one, no problem? Or were you like, holy crap, I'm actually on my own. I don't have somebody as experienced or better or more experienced than me. What were you going through at that moment in your life? Well, it wasn't the holy crap thing. I wasn't freaking out okay. in that kind of a way. I was pretty, but you know, I for years had been a hospitality professional. So I had been a bar manager. I had been a hotel general manager. I had been a resort food and beverage director. So I had run multi-million dollar food and beverage businesses. And I knew I was good at it because I had been promoted and I'd received raises and I've gotten a few awards and stuff. So when I opened it, I had the confidence in my ability to run it. Uh, 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 but, uh, you know, it's a new location, as you know, Damon. The greatest idea can fail in the wrong place or with the wrong people yeah. around you. So, of course, you always have those fears. But I'm not the type to have doubted myself. Now, I didn't have my daughter till I was 35 years old, so I was still single. Mm -hmm. And when I was in a hospitality business, before I opened my own company, which is 1986, I was VP of a hotel company. And they had moved me 11 times in five years to bigger and bigger and bigger hotels because I was mm -hmm. really good at driving revenue. And I knew right. that. So I had a bit of a history in it. And then when I started my own company in 1986, my first client was the hotel company that I had worked for. So I mm -hmm. sort of had a bit of a cushion when I started my own business that way. Right. And, and so, you, so, so you were still single, right? Yep, I was. You know, Mark Cuban will say often, and, and even I'll say the very similar thing, um, you know, when he was building his, uh, you know, working on his stuff, you know, a girlfriend said to him, you work too hard. It's either it's either me or the business. And he said, I'm, I'm sorry, what was your name again? Um, <laughs> where, where were you with relationships at that time? My because life, my, this, yeah. yeah. I was selfishly uh, absorbed in my own professional career at that stage in my life. And I had girlfriends that had come and gone, but I would relocate. And if she didn't want to come with me, she didn't come with me, but I still took that opportunity. And I got married late. 
and I put my career first. And I realized back then, being in a hospitality business, Damon, that I couldn't always create my own opportunities in the cities that I lived in. I had to be willing to go to that bigger, better market to get that bigger, better property. So, yeah, I think that at a young age, you should be selfish about your career and stay focused. And I think paying the dues with that kind of focus is what sets you up to take care of that family a little later on. It is. It is. So you... A hundred percent. I, you know, I tell people, I tell people, I tell people, even my daughter, as much as I love them, I'm a girl dad. I say, you know, uh, up until 20, you're somebody's daughter. Um, and then you're going to be somebody's wife and mother and grandmother. And <laughs> I said, 10 years do you. And I don't care what you is. Bill Wells in Africa, party like a rock star. Go look at art, save sea turtles. I don't care. That's great but advice. know who you are. Um, See, I did but, that. I didn't have yeah. that advice for my parents, but I did that. But you I, did it. And it but there's me. a lot of temptation. At 28 years old, you know, there's a lot of distraction to live in a world of a nightlife and own a club. Did you have those? Because first of all, you are, you know, you're you're going to sleep at six o'clock in the morning. Probably yep. you. Uh, there is a lot of liquor. There's a lot of various other sex, variables. drugs, rock and roll. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Were you living that life? Were you nose down? You know, where was that? Where were you at that time? Because I got to tell you, at 30 years old, when I had a couple million dollars in the bank, I was really, really focused. But yeah, you know, I, I made some mistakes too. I was like, wait a minute. First of all, I made some mistakes with my diet. I was like, I can eat all, everything. I'll have it all. Right? Uh, um, and, you know, A-type personalities like you, myself, and many listening, we don't know how to do it halfway. Were there any temptations then? Or did you yeah. take advantage of those temptations? Yeah, there were. Uh, uh, it was particularly when I ran a troubadour in Hollywood, which I think you know is a very famous nightclub. Oh, yeah. And, and in those days... Uh, uh, you ran the troubadour, you said? I ran a troubadour back in the late 70s, early 80s. Wow, with all the... With all the- Famous, famous rock bands coming oh, in there. Oh yeah! Now, when I ran a troubadour, bands like Fear and Black Flag and yeah, Adam Ant yeah. and all those punk oh, bands. Oh my God! So there's a lot of temptation around you in those days, as you can imagine, Damon. Of Women course. like crazy, yeah. white powder all over the darn place. Oh, yeah. yeah, we're not talking about Johnson and Johnson either. Yeah. But you know, Dave I think powder. you and I have something in common. I would look at that room of all these people that were high and drunk and partying, and I would say to myself, somebody here needs to be sober. Somebody mm. here needs to take responsibility. God forbid should something happen to someone. Mm. And as the bar owner and the operator, I always looked at that responsibility in that way. So I was never the drunk guy in a room. I, I always mm-hmm. tended to be the sober guy. Now, if you and I went out on a night off, that's a different deal, buddy. I could have a good mm. time with you. Right, right, but right. In that environment, I did not succumb. I must tell you, I avoided my employees from a relationship standpoint. I really didn't drink, and I didn't fall into the drug thing on the job. So I think I was fortunate that I had the discipline to do that. And that was an interesting era back then, Dan, because that was pre-AIDS, pre-gangs, pre-violence. You're so, talking, uh, you, you must be talking about 82 or something like yeah, that. 79 to 82, exactly right. 79 to 82, you're talking about, you know, disco was starting to slow down. Right, uh, hip hop starting to come up. Punk bands like Blondie and all these yep. other bands are now starting to hit hit the country. My Sharona. It was a My Sharona. It was a <laughs> very very special special time. There was a lot of hairspray. A lot, a lot of, of hairspray. hairspray. That was that a fun time. time. I remember girls in those days wore cellophane pants. You could see through them. The Valley girls in the LA. Those were fun times. 
Those were fun times. Women's lib had already really taken effect, yep. and women felt that, you know, we can do what the men do. And they yep. were very, very just, you know, overt with a lot of things. And, it, you know, it's fine. But society wasn't defensive like it is today, Damon. It, it wasn't. It wasn't. Yep. So you, you would manage to have that discipline. But I got to ask you another question because I don't like I don't like going into restaurant businesses for various things. I think technology now has saved some of the, mm -hmm. my concerns. But when I worked at certain restaurants— the staff would steal everything. If it wasn't nailed down, they were going to steal it. Now, in my business, and a lot of people should understand, there is going to be what we call leakage, whatever mm -hmm. you want to call leakage, right? Somebody stealing we, we it from use the, the warehouse. Same term. Whatever. Okay. Besides this, this person who, you know, clearly took advantage of a handshake agreement, but when was the first time you caught somebody that you trust or you believed you trust stealing from you? Um, in your business? Yeah, there, there were two biggies. Uh, one was somebody who I was putting in business. I was investing in them. I had put, not that much, about $150,000 into their business, and they completely ripped me off, and, and it, it broke my heart. It was a very, very personal. Why did they rip you off? Did they have a problem? Because a lot of times when people rip you off, they could be habitual klepto. They could be con men and women. They could fall into a divorce or drugs. Or they can say, John got it. Fuck that. Fuck. John, got, he's going to be okay. You know what? I don't care all that. I helped you. Because a lot of times when you help people so much, they either can, either are like, man, really, I thank you. Or they can't. It, it's overwhelming to them where they want to say, fuck you. I think that you was got it, it anyway. Degree. Damon, I think that what I did is I was putting him in a position of ownership and, and a mature, and I think he resented the fact that I was putting him in this position of responsibility, and he said, just what you said, fuck him, he's already got his money, I don't want to do this, and he, and he just sort of abandoned it. What did you do? How did you respond to that? Did you? I know it hurt, but you know that could have made you a cold person from that point on and never given anybody else a chance. What did you do? Because you're still, you're still in a business that, it's very volatile when it comes to, yeah. But, you know, today a lot of systems and a lot of automated systems and such do it. For example, my Taffer's Tavern has 60% mm -hmm. of the labor costs of a regular restaurant in the kitchen. Everything is packaged and counted and numbered. Mm -hmm. and, you know, the controls can be in place to do it now. I'll tell you a funny story. When I was running the Troubadour, I had an assistant manager who I liked, and he looked like high, like sort of dizzy, if you will. Mm -hmm. And he came out of the walk-in refrigerator so I walked into the walk-in refrigerator, you're going to laugh, and on the floor in the walk-in refrigerator with two cases of ready whip whipped cream, cream. Whipped yep. cream, whip hits. And uh -huh. 24 cans in each case, and not uh -huh. one of them had any not gas one in one of them worked. <laughs> he was blowing his brains out. That's right. <laughs> How do you, like, I don't understand because you have, a, you know, going to the fact that you have discipline there, but there you're dealing with bartenders and various other people. I mean, you got heavy turnover normally. What would you say to people now when they catch people stealing in that sense? When I'm of the belief that if honesty is sacrificed, there's no basis of any relationship ever with someone who lies or steals. That ends everything to me. There's no second chance, no form of discussion. If an employee lies to me about, about uh, uh, doesn't have to be financially related. Those things, you know, mm -hmm. are gear changers for me. I believe that any relationship, professional or otherwise, has to be based in trust. So I really try to be honest with the people around me. If things are good, I say it. If they're not good, I say it. 
you know, I know my producer's sitting here with me. I, I, I know he would shake his head that he always knows where he stands. And, and, and so, so uh, theft is unbelievable to me. And in Bar Rescue, I see it hugely, Damon. I go to these bars, mm-hmm. and these employees tell me in an interview, oh, no, the owner's like a father to me. I love him. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. And then I get into the business, and they're robbing the guy blind. Right. And they do love him. They do care about him. But they're yeah. still robbing him blind. And what gets me, Damon, is they're not stealing from bosses they hate. They're stealing from bosses they love. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steels every Thursday, each episode provides an in-depth exploration into the formative artists, monumental albums, and socio-political factors that have shaped gangster rap from its emergence in the 80s to its enduring impact today. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form. We dive into the socio-cultural aspects that gangster rap boldly addressed, from police brutality to systemic racism, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the profound cultural significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. They're not stealing from bosses they hate. They're stealing from bosses they love. That's mind-boggling to me. Where, but this is what, I mean, you know, like I know that the, the funny thing about that moment is we go down these rabbit holes and I want to know, you know, we see the resentment side. And this is a great point you're bringing up. Like we already talked about someone you stole from me. You said F. John, you know, yep. he got it. Why, why are people robbing from people they, they love? Why, why do you, do you, listen, you're not God. You don't have a crystal ball and see the future. But I, I'm curious, what have you seen a defining thing that shows that people, why people steal from those they love? You know, I think that there is a uh, loosening of society, if you will, Damon. I think we see it in a lot of different ways today. I think the behavior envelope of children is a little bigger than it used to be. I think you and I had a narrow envelope that we had a perfect when we were younger than a child does today. You know, I think that, that people today have a global view, or they think they have a global view at a much younger age. I think today this is a world of forgiveness. Look at my, my grandson's four years old. He went to Little League this week. And it's mm. not Little League at all. It's a T-ball. If he mm. doesn't hit it, they applaud him. If he hits it, they applaud him. <laughs> if he catches the ball, they applaud him. If he doesn't catch the ball, they don't applaud him. There's no latitude to win and lose. So how does my little grandson, you know, get to get the feeling of victory and loss that you and I had when we were young? Yeah. That became so. I think this desire to not challenge people directly and and to just say that's okay, little Johnny. That's okay, little Johnny. Sometimes it's not okay, little Johnny. <laughs> Do you agree? I hundred percent agree. And I'm just trying to think about the moment. You know, I found a lot of people that are stole from someone from me, and I found I think that we I think we're getting to something as I discover this is that you have to confront people no matter who they are and how they and how they are no matter because if you're in a business you're all about the numbers. Yep. And you know when somebody told me one day somebody said you know Damon you're losing about a half a million dollars. Oh my God, people are stealing from me. They said but they're not even trying to steal from you. And you know what it was? The small things is what they were doing like we had clothing so they were just you know wear something home a sample because they're cold but everybody wore a sample home for the cold we unlocked the you know the box where all the 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 stuff goes in for the printers and all the paper and stuff like well you know hey my kid's doing a report i'm going to take home a stack of paper right right. before uber was out you know hey we get a car service and i got to go to dinner so they get the car service at five they keep the car service all the way till two o'clock in the morning the car service is just sitting there while they're at dinner and that car just costs a thousand dollars right 
there is intentional theft, and then there is the kind of like, oh, that's my guy, but you know, I'm you know, a couple of dollars. I'm not going to charge you for this drink, that drink, this drink, that drink, this drink, that drink, and before you know it, it mounts up. So, how do you differentiate those that are intentional and those that are doing things by mistake? Because even though they're doing it by mistake, they're not considering it. What do you do in that sense? Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that. I always say they find a way to justify it to themselves. Yeah. Oh, I've been on the road for four days. I do. I deserve this. Or, ah, boy, you know, I really came through for Damon. I got him that, you know, blah, 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 you know. Blah. Uh-huh. So they find some way to justify it. You know, I'm the bartender. Uh-huh. If it wasn't for me, Taffer wouldn't have made a dime tonight. <laughs> so, right. So I think that's a lot of it because they don't think of themselves as thieves, and that's where it gets scary. If they don't think of themselves as a thief because they're justifying it to themselves— then they're logically not going to have any guilt, and they're logically right. going to do it again. So it's the one who knows that he's stealing when he does it. You know, in the bar business, I'll tell you a funny story. In the bar business, what the way they steal more than any other way, Damon, is they ring up no sale. Oh. So let's say I sell you $20 worth of drinks. I go up to you, I say $20, I go to the register, I ring up no sale. Mm. You don't see that from your seat. I right. put the 20 in the drawer. The drawer now owes me 20 mm. I take two pennies... $10 each in representation, move them over to a little pile. Now I go, the drawer owes me 20 uh. I do that four more times. Now the drawer owes me $100, right? right? Oh, I'm out of singles. So I count out five 20s from my tip cup, go up to mm. the drawer, pull $200 out, and drop it in the tip cup, and now I'm even again. So no, the, you think like a thief. How do you think? Why, why would the, you think like a thief? So, so when they do this stuff, you can see the piles of pennies and matches behind the bar because they're ah. counting. And I'll take and I'll mess that up. I'll move their stuff around when I'm back there. So now they lose freaking count. So now when I close them out at the end of the night, they're over or under a hundred dollars, hundred fifty dollars, ah. and I got them, buddy. But, but, uh, uh, you know, it's the employee who knows he's stealing is one thing, but the employee who justifies it to himself is even scarier because that's the one who tells the employee next to him, you should do it too. I love, I love, love, love how you just broke down because, you know, a lot of people don't think that the bosses know the game. Oh, you funny, and I you know, know I, the game, man. We've been I, there. I, I live in Miami, you know, and I and I don't carry cash. And um, uh, the IRS, I'm the IRS, the most watched person in the world. I'm an African American giving away money on TV. All right, yep. I I pay more. I pay enough taxes for you, me, and everybody else. Uh, not my share. I pay everybody's share on purpose. Yep, I hear you. I pull up in Miami. It always happens. Hey, you want to park in the front? If if it's one of my really nice cars, and I don't have many of the really yep. nice ones, I don't want to get a dink. Sure, park in the front. All right. Hundred dollars cash. No, I, I don't pay cash. I I I pay credit card. No, 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 puppy. We don't, we don't, we don't take credit cards. All right, guys. Let me let me break this to you. I'm an African American driving a Rolls Royce. I'm the biggest thief around here. <laughs> I know how to hustle, my brothers. Now, it, it it is not about being a thief because I'm not. It's just I've been around so much. I go, stop lying to me. You have a square somewhere over here. Stop lying to me. Then all of a sudden, magic. Oh, Papa, look, we found it. It's working now. I, why do employees not know that we know the hustle? Yeah, it, it's uh, remarkable. But I think the trick to it I have found in my business is they need to know that I know. Because that's where the fear comes, and that's where the regulatory impact comes. If they know I know, like I move those pennies, I say something to them, I catch them in an act, et cetera, 
When they know I know, that's when it tends to stop. The problem is— Do you is, find that they quit, though? Because when you find habitual thieves or liars or people who fluff, and I don't want this is definitely not an, a, a negative interview because this is us talking because a lot of business owners are listening to us and will listen to us and, and be more empowered to save more money to employ more people. Uh, but when you find that people, you just cut their work or their revenue, because you know when people start to make more, they count on it more. And if Potentially, if they are somebody who is a thief, they probably have a lot of other bad habits. Do you find that when you now box them into a corner for any reason, whether they're taking credit of another person's work, that's stealing too, do you find that they quit? It depends upon if they believe they're stealing or not. Mm-hmm. If they believe they're stealing, then it's lost income to them. If they're one of those people who justify it to themselves, I can get them to stay with the absence of it. That's a really key question, though, because if they leave in that case, then don't you want them to leave anyway? They're thieves. I do, so but what if they— I got a story if, for you. I got a story yeah. for you. I take a job as a bartender in 1978 at Barney's Beanery on Santa Monica Boulevard in Los Angeles. I'm sure a famous place. I'm sure you yeah. know. My first night there, the bartender— I think he's dead, so I can say his name, Kenny Bornstein, comes up to me and says, we steal here. You have mm. to take at least 100 a night. This is a 1978. $100 was a decent amount of money back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's $400 now. So, so I said, how do you do it? So he showed me how to do it, and he said, listen to me. If I steal and you don't, the registers are out of whack. You must mm. steal 100 a night. Everybody steals 100 a night. That was my first night working wow. in that operation. So it's a cancer. And when you catch somebody who does it, even if you sense they might be doing it, you have to kill the cancer. And I use something called a landmark fire. I don't know if you've ever heard that term before. No. To me, a landmark fire would be taking the biggest offender, whether it's be the lowest performing employee, the most thieving employee, the employee with the worst attitude, and fire them. And it's a landmark fire, and it wakes up everybody else around them. And, you know, firing somebody for theft or suspected theft can go a long way with the people around them. I agree setting an example, period, can go a long way. And I want to ask one last question about that area, and I want to move on to something uh, something else because uh, I, I love all these moments because that was a very special moment that you learned that uh, there's a lot of cahoots, coercion, um, and cutting a cancer stops it, right? Because it can bring a company down as well as it can bring it up if somebody is is coming in with the, I want to solve this. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to do this shit together, right? That is infectious, and you need more of those people. Um, what about in a relationship where you kind of box the person in, whether they have been doing you wrong or not on the same page as you? Do you think that that, that initially, whether it's a partnership or whatever the case is, romantic relationship, do they do they check out too once you catch them in all these things and say no, no more of this, and you yeah. you you kind of box them into a corner? Yeah, once I boxed him in, I've sort of made my choice that I want him to go at that point. So so I'm the kind of person who, uh, once I get to that position, uh, uh, a state of mind, if you will, I don't give people a second chance when it comes to honesty and things like that. So I'm pretty direct in that way. All right. Well, now let's go. I think that's a perfect segue. State of mind. Eight episodes, eight, eight, eight seasons, excuse me. I watch you. You are in a lot of middle America. You're in a lot of cities. Now. Every city is beautiful. Every city is great if you live there. Mm-hmm. You have your community. You have a comfortability. You have your home, your church, whatever the case is. But you are in a lot of cities, and you do not live there. 
you have a state of mind to do this. It is not easy. How, what was the moment, because I'm sure after the show became a success of what it is, did you say to yourself, do I want to go into these cities all the time now? I, you know, I be careful what you ask for. You had to face sometimes, and maybe you, maybe you love it. I don't know. Do you like going into all these different cities and dealing with all those elements, being on the road and going in and having these stressful arguments and bars and various other things where half the people hate you and even <laughs> the ones that you want to help change, they hate you a little bit too for the honest truth? How do you feel about that? And, and, and why do you continue to do this where we all benefit, but why? I've never been asked this question in that way. I got a great answer for you. Yeah. At the end of every episode, you see I get a hug. Yep. <laughs> what people don't know is we're wearing microphones on our chests. So when I get that hug, the audience cannot hear what is said to me during that hug. Mm-hmm. But the things that owner says to me, Damon, are unbelievable. John, you saved my marriage. You saved my freaking life, John. Mm. I'm talking to my son again. Thank you. I feel a weight lifting off my shoulders. John, you saved my life. The things they whisper into my ear, Damon, are so powerful, so uh-huh. moving, so inspirational to me right. that that next week I fight even harder. I scream mm. even more. I push even more. And I find, surprisingly... The ones that fight with me the most are the ones that give me the tightest hug. Isn't that interesting? Because I think people in their lives have never been able to crack through to them before. A lot of them are a little thick-headed, if you will, a little opinionated. And their wives weren't able to crack through. Their partners weren't able to crack through. Their kids weren't able to crack through. Suddenly, I crack through, and they're really appreciative of it in the end, as ugly as it got. In the end, they're really appreciative. But I wonder if if you had the same revelation when you went on television. You see, I never thought that this depth of failure even existed. Mm-hmm. I never realized people could be in that bad a position. 50 years old, living in your parents' basement, you blew $400,000 of their retirement. They have no retirement left. Yeah. You're losing in a 30000 a month. You got enough money for two more weeks. I, I never, so when I started this, I had no comprehension, Damon, that, 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 you know, that level of failure existed. And I look at your face on Shark Tank. Some of these pitches are shocking to you as well, I can see. But, but it was always shocking to me, that depth of failure, if you will. But, you know, you get to, you see, you go deep into the fire. You know, my my understanding of these depth of failures happen over a year, two years, five years, because, you know, I got this great pitch. You know, we do the deal, whatever the case is. And and I'm not deep in that. You get to roll up your sleeve and you get to see how that action is being and how that business is being ran right there in real time. And you can easily go in there and go, okay, uh Okay, it's all nice what you said. Let me see what's going on here. And you get to to condense that time. As you go in there yelling or screaming, and of course you go in there often with love, you go in there with love first. You kind of go in there and break down and look Open at the whole environment. Yeah, always, right? Yep. How do you turn that off at home? Because my first marriage, I was very young. I wasn't very young. I was as you were, 28, 29, and I noticed that as we, as couples, young couples or even older couples now, we, we get together and you had you you were smart enough to have a child at 35. I, I noticed that, you know, we got, my wife and I, we got together because we loved each other, but now we have children. I'm coming home. I'm running a multi-million dollar business, and all we're talking about is what kid is sick, what kid has to go here, and we, the house became the business, and I started to talk to my wife. I couldn't never cut it off. I started to talk to my wife like an employee. 
Um, it didn't work out well for me. I slept on the couch a lot, and then I ended up getting divorced. How how were you able to turn that off when you go home? It's funny. My first wife worked in my first wife. <laughs> See, you know where I'm going already. Mm-hmm. Oh, Work, yeah. Worked in go. my business with me. And same kind of thing. She became a business partner. And business frustrations got in the middle of us. All we talked about was work and business. It never. We were the opposite. We never talked about children. All we talked about was work and business. No, but when we it talked about the marriage. children, it was, still, it was still a business. All right, get yeah. her there. 304. How much? <laughs> did that destroy the business as well? I mean, destroy the marriage? I think it did. I think it did. You know, I've been married to, to Nicole for 25 years now. You've met Nicole. And yeah. she... Uh, uh, she uh, um, uh, is out of the business, and she carries a card. She's our special projects manager, so she can come in and do stuff and do fun things that she likes to contribute, but the business never gets between us anymore, and that's really, really important because the frustrations of business... Damon, guys like you and I live with these frustrations. Yeah. The challenge for us is not to bring them home. Somehow, not to bring them home, and I work really hard at that. I'm not as good as it as I'd like to be, but I think I'm better at it today than I was 10 years ago. We are, we grow, you know, and I, I would love for, because it was that moment, I, I got to tell you that moment with my wife, Heather, who I've been with now 18 years, uh, uh, she was young, she was 22, 23, but she had this brilliant aspect of understanding men like us, or or me, because I was mainly one of the first men she was ever with, um, but around 26, 27, she started to see how my office operated and my life was, uh, many women would say, well, well, how is it working out? You know what she said? She said, when she, he comes home, I don't talk to him for the first hour or half an hour. If he wants to talk to me, he talks to me. I'm not going to hit him with problems as soon as he wakes in the door, walks in the door. Because I see when he wakes up, he has 100 emails and 100 texts, and emails and texts is never anything good for you. It's always somebody else's goddamn problem. And when he <laughs> comes home, I want to leave that up to him. And then it was that moment when I heard her giving another person advice. She never even told me that she did that. It was that moment I said, well, how can I repay her? for what she's doing for me. And, and, and I think that it, it's, it's that sensibility of understanding the other person's position. Uh, and, and give me a tip. Do, or do you have any tips how, how, how you guys make it work? You know, I can't believe you said that. And as you were saying that, I was thinking about myself. And, you know, Nicole with me handles everything in our personal lives, mm-hmm. manages the household. If I'm traveling, my bags are packed for me. When I come home, they're unpacked for me. My insurance, my cars, my vehicles. She'll call the hotels, make sure the room I have is everything that I need it to be. And nice. she is focused on me all the time. A- and I realized that she is as much of a reason for my own success as I am. If it wasn't, for, and she's my muse in a way. If she wasn't behind me to the level that I am, or your wife is to you, mm-hmm. I'm not sure you and I could stand in the ways that we do, have the freedom of mind, if you will, to attack the things that we attack and accomplish every day. So these past few I'd be years, dead. I've gotten much I would literally be dead if I didn't have that because the same way she does that for you, she probably okay. makes sure you're going to the doctor. She probably, I wouldn't have known I had thyroid cancer unless she said, get your ass to the doctor. Bingo, same exact thing with me. So so you and I recognize the power that they have to our success, and I think we treat them accordingly. So I look at my wife as, as not the partner that I don't need. I look at her as the partner that I do need. You know, we all have partners that contribute, and we all have partners that don't contribute. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. 
That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steels every Thursday, each episode provides an in-depth exploration into the formative artists, monumental albums, and socio-political factors that have shaped gangster rap from its emergence in the 80s to its enduring impact today. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form. We dive into the socio-cultural aspects that gangster rap boldly addressed, from police brutality to systemic racism, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the profound cultural significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. 
It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, we all have partners that contribute and we all have partners that don't contribute. The ones that contribute, we treat very differently than the ones who don't contribute. These are, are contributing our partners, our biggest contributing partners. Absolutely. So I've gotten really good these past few years of, of really appreciating that. And, by the way, saying to her very often, I appreciate you and I appreciate these things that you do. And that goes a long way in and of itself. I do I do as well. Um, but I got to tell you, uh, let me see, who did I, I, I realize how to say that I appreciate, oh, it was uh, Howard Stern one day was talking to, <laughs> he was talking to, um, who's the guy who needs to be loved by somebody else, um, the, the panties were thrown on the stage, or who's that guy? Uh-huh. Um, the big singer. Um, what, what, uh, 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 not Tom Jones. Not Tom Jones. Oh, okay, so, okay. How how is Stern his first wife? We we were talking yep. about first wife and second wife. Actually, this guy on this guy on the radio who uh who who name is Big Lou and he go, he goes uh, he's a divorce attorney and he likes to say I'm Big Lou and Big Lou's just like you except for I'm not on wife number three I'm on wife number two. But um, <laughs> <laughs> you know how how was talking to Tom Joe? He said Tom, women throw their undergarments on the stage at you. You have a wife. Your wife is happy with you, and you're happy with her. I mean, any woman could be intimidated. Any man could be intimidated by other people going to that level of uh, adornment for your your significant other. He says, how do you deal with that? And Tom Jones said, Howard, what do you say to your <laughs> He said, what do you say to your wife when you leave in the morning? Howard said, mm-hmm. Goodbye, you old raggedy ass. Something, something, and slams the door. Right? That's the problem, Tom. Uh, uh, that's the problem, Howard. He said, "I say to my wife every time before I leave in the morning, I'm gonna miss you. And let me tell you something: you have been on my mind all morning, and you will be on all night. I can't wait till I come home." Wow. And I think that if you just take a second, right, to tell somebody that thing that, you know, we take so much for granted. Now, think about how much we say that to our little kids, our daughters, your grandchildren. You know, I love you. You know, you did the most amazing thing today. Or you know what? It's better to not say you did the most amazing thing. It's better to say you worked so hard at yep. what you did, and I'm very proud of you. We need to take that time on that significant other. All right. Let me get to one or two By the other way, points. I think the yep. same is true with employees. It is partners. A little Very personal true. recognition. You know, how are you, Howard? How's your wife doing? How are the kids doing? Good to see you today. You know, I found that that there was the, the mm. book, The One Minute Manager, years ago. Yes. A very powerful oh. book to me. Absolutely. And it taught us attack what people do, don't attack them. Yes. So if you were working for me, I'd say, Damon, I love you working for me, buddy. I'm really proud that you work for my organization, but could you do something for me? So I build you up. And challenge what you did. Yes. And, you know, I think that's an important, uh, I know we're talking about wives and I wouldn't you know, approach your no, wife quite absolutely. that way. But recognition like that is critical for the people that work for us as well. I was about to say, do I have my one minute manager around here? I read it every single year because I keep getting, I have to get better and better with communication all the time. And what do I have here? I have the magic ladder uh, to success by Napoleon Hill. Mm. I like that that one. But um, That's a good one too. Also, have you read E-Myth Revisited? No, and Michael Gerber. So, E Myth Revisited. Focuses Michael Gerber on the, was the 
founder of, uh, of the is a movie company, right? Michael Gerber. No, is no huge. different. He's a writer. E Myth Revisit. He talks about the premise of working in the business and working on the business. Yeah. And that everybody is either a manager, an administrator, or a creative. And he just fascinating book. I think you'd enjoy it. Called no, e I revisited. I absolutely will. And I got to do the audio because I'm dyslexic. So, you know, when I worked in when I worked in restaurants at Red Lobster, we all know there there's a loop table music all the time. Before you know it, you know, at first I hated it. Second, you know, before I know when I left the company or left places, I was those were songs were on the top of my <laughs> my playlist. When you were coming up, were there any specific songs that meant success to you or, you know, that you played or that or even till today, you know, some people have My Way by Frank Sinatra. I have Rising to the Top by Kenny Burke or Bill Conte, Going the Distance, the Rocky song. Oh, the Rocky one gets me, yeah. Did you have any songs that were always that thing? But I actually have the only patent ever issued by the federal government for the management of music to achieve a desired ambiance in a hospitality property. I am a music freaking nutcase. The music in my restaurants are curated by beats per minute, keys, vocalists, and instrumentation combinations into beats per minute energy curves and content curves. And I can control how quick you chew through my music program. How can you do I that? I can manipulate how quick your table turns through my music program. So how, how can you do that? Because the tables are not all being sat at the same time unless you have an 8 o'clock no, seat. But it's still a 45-minute turn or, or a 50-minute turn. So music programs tend to go in a 45-minute cycle. 45, and why this 45 minutes? Is there any not the same reason? song every 45 minutes. No, I understand. The same but why beats is... per minute curve. Oh. The same structural elements repeat oh, themselves. Understood. So I'm moving you through a bit of an energy curve, if you will, Damon. And, you know, your body reacts to those energy curves, the speed that you walk, the speed that you chew, uh, uh, all those kinds of things. So are you saying that if I come in your restaurant and I'm feeling really sexy because you got Sade playing, it's 8 o'clock, you know, (laughs) the wine is flowing, but now all of a sudden, you know, you want to get the doors closed and you turn up, I'm eating the dessert to Luke. Don't stop. Get it. Get it. like. Wh- how do you? What do you? What are you doing? That's what I'm doing. Then I'm playing with lighting levels because the dimmer the lights, the closer you get to the person you're talking to. Oh. The brighter the lights, the farther you get. So when you look at music content, music volume level, lighting levels, then the real science becomes the interactivity of eye contact. For example, in a bar at zero level, everybody's in bar stools at high seating. At an elevated level. Everybody's at low seating. So when you walk through the room, everybody's eyes are within 10 inches of each other. At a low seat at an elevated area, high seat at a zero area. So I keep everybody's eye height the same. It maximizes uh, interaction and connectivity. Uh, hold on, I'm going to get this. Hold on. So now I put the right music program, the right writing levels, the right oh, dynamics God. of those elements, and I'm now I'm controlling your experience. So I'm walking in... The bar stools are up here because I'm like, I see you, homie. Yeah, oh yeah, you see yep. me. And then the I bar move. stool sitting and you standing is almost the same eye height, isn't it? Mm. Now you turn your head to the elevated area, and the people sitting are also at the same eye height. Oh, that's I got it now. So, well, there's another theory, right? And you tell me, and I'm sure you can dig into this. So when we were in clubs and we were really going crazy, we noticed a club was like, somebody broke it down like a jungle. 
They said, the guys are going to all stand, uh, you know, at the table and, you know, boom, 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 boom. But the guy or girl with the most money or the most attractiveness start to become like the hawk and the lion and they get higher on the chair and on the da 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 because they're the apex predator. And the predator is allowing the sheep or gazelles to see them yeah. because they will pick them off accordingly. Is that it's marketing? Marketing. Were you, you be doing that in restaurants too? Do you have this platform where maybe the table is a little bit more? Absolutely. That's the and the premium. lighting is a little brighter at that particular. The table. lighter is brighter at that table. So, so, but here's lighting. the fun need... stuff. Let's say back in your de bar days, Damon, let's say you and I were at a bar, we're hanging out together as a couple of really beautiful girls up on an elevated area. Yeah. So you want to, I want to walk by those girls. Ideally get a little eye contact. Right. So we go up the steps to the elevated area. We walk up to the girls. There's a dead end. We can't get off. Now we got to turn around and walk back the other way. We feel like idiots. Right. Girls know exactly what we were doing. What if there was a staircase on the other side so I could flow through oh. rather than look like an idiot and hit a dead end? You're more likely to have eye contact with those girls now because I've got a flow pattern around it. Whoa. So the science of connectivity and interactivity in the bar is really deep. It's what? almost a podcast into itself. No, it's, it really no that is not a – that is your book. Your book is structure in any setting for ultimate interaction or positioning. That is the book that is an architectural what Bible. <laughs> and then we do something called the butt funnel. The butt uh -huh. funnel is a 30-inch opening to get onto the dance floor. There's drink rails on either side. So when you approach the butt funnel, you're going to either rub face-to-face -face with somebody or you're going to mm. rub ass-to-ass. -ass. Your choice. But so, again, all of these are tricks of interactivity. Because you can drink club, at baby. home, buddy. You can watch TV at home. You can listen to music at home. The one thing I can give you that nobody else can is interaction. That's what the business really is today. We need there's a Damon nothing John else. There's nothing bar. else to say. We here. need there's, a Damon John bar or restaurant. You there's nothing talk. else. That, there's really this, <laughs> this. This is like all my life, and you know what? I am a very, 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 very proud dad. My 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 daughter just graduated Parsons. I saw congratulations with, with a master's in architectural design, and I am going to have her talk to you. Please do. I'm going to put my uh my lazy boy on a recline on a on a on a pedestal in my home with a lot of lights around it so when my <laughs> wife but you know my wife is gonna look up and go look at that jerk up there he's really high up in the air but <laughs> you know john well, i could talk to you forever and um you know i, I can't you, i can't wait to see this this the new episode the new series uh of our stool um i know you said that i asked you i always beg you what can i promote of yours but i know it's only in two cities but let's talk about it tell me what what you got coming out where can people find you follow you just tell me lay it on the line i need i know you didn't want to promote anything but what do you have talk to me uh but but thank you you know my taffers taverns are doing great we have one in washington dc downtown one in alpharetta georgia uh, uh, and one in Watertown in Boston. We're opening in Alabama soon and in Excellent. Las Vegas soon. So those are going really well. That's my restaurant franchise. So Tavern doing... is open in all those cities, and if people do not know about it, whether you're a customer or or somebody who has product and or want to see how to be in business with Mr. Tavern, did you hear what he just said? It's rolling out, and it's not going to stop. Go ahead. Yep. Next one is my brown butter bourbon. I'm really proud of this mm. one, buddy. 
This is browned butter bourbon. I'm going to send you a bottle. Okay. That I've been working on for two and a half years. We just introduced it in Boston and Vegas. It goes national soon, and it's doing great, man. I'm, like, blown away by how successful it is. You shouldn't be because, you know, you have been doing this all your life, and you don't put your name on anything. So brown butter bourbon, and I'm sure it'll get bigger and better distribution. Uh, You you accomplished, and you, you, you have books, Don't Bullshit Yourself, Raise the Bar. And the power, power of, of conflict. conflict. All right, man. Well, I, I really, I'm not, I'm not bullshitting you, man, because I, I don't think I could add any value in uh, a book when you talk about the environment because we're very visual. And now in this world of everything's Instagram, TikTok, I mean, your structures and thinking about these structures, you rolled them off the your lips so naturally but and easily. But I think that this whole thing about when you are someplace, because, you know, people don't need to go to venues so they can do stuff. Like you said, drink at home. Yep. I think that's the next book, man. I would love to hear that. But you know what? You're 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 a very successful businessman. You don't need my you don't need my opinion, but I appreciate. Well, I love you, your man. opinion, buddy. I got great respect for you. You're a good friend, Damon. I love you, my brother. Well, thank you, brother, so much, and thank you for sharing this moment and sharing with everybody that moment that you've had in your life. And I appreciate you, brother. Take care. Peace. That Moment with Damon John is a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network. For more podcasts from the Black Effect Podcast Network, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite show. And don't forget to subscribe to and rate the show. And of course, you can all connect with me on any of my social media platforms at the Shark Damon, spelt like Raymond, but what a D. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Today. 